0: and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to another expert episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Courtney Warren. She is a board certified clinical psychologist and adjunct clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. She has won numerous awards for her research. She is an expert on addiction, self-deception, and romantic relationships, amongst other things. Her newest work is a book that explores breakups through an addictive framework, which is, of course, what we talked about. Her new book is called Letting Go of Your Ex, CBT Skills to Help Heal the Pain of a Breakup and Overcome Love Addiction. And I've had multiple experts on recently talking about... This is something I'm personally so interested in is really exploring this idea of going through a breakup similar to healing and addiction. And Dr. Courtney Warren has so much great insight on that. We talk about what is love addiction. I actually learned so much that I didn't know on love addiction. We talk about how going through a love addicted breakup and how different it is and the symptoms that come along with it. And I know so many of you guys are going to feel so seen and validated from how she describes it. We also talk about different skills and she touches on a few of them in the interview, but so many of them are in her book, but different skills, CBT skills specifically that you can use to practice stopping those symptoms as they come up. One of the most Common questions I get is How do I stop obsessing about my ex? And Dr. Courtney really shares some great, like, skills and practices that you can do to in order to do that. Um, we talk about how our rational thinking is so skewed when we're going through a breakup, and how adding perspective and reaching a point of perspective is really. The most important place that we can get to when we're going through that. And we also talk about like being really honest about how difficult it is going through a breakup. And and yeah, I learned so much from her. I feel like I'm forever a student of learning about heartbreak and breakups and especially all of the more clinical background and research backed ways that we can get over breakup. So I highly recommend that you all go out and get her book. She also does have an assessment that I linked in the show notes so you can kind of see what symptoms you are most struggling with in terms of going through a love addicted breakup. So without me talking anymore, let us bring on Dr. Courtney Warren. Welcome Dr. Courtney. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show and sharing your infinite wisdom on this topic.
1: Thank you for having me, Kendra.
0: I always like to ask people how they got like specifically interested in certain areas. Obviously like the whole spectrum of of mental health and like all of that, it's so big. And so I'd love to hear like how you came to want to write your book.
1: Really, romantic relationships are so dominant in our lives. It's a part of our human experience, right? And so I think it's always been of interest to me to understand people and to help people through difficult relationship moments. But to be really blunt, I gave a, talk, a TEDx talk on self-deception years ago, and I used myself as an example in romantic relationships of how we lie to ourselves. And after giving the talk, I was inundated with questions about breakups. How do you go through a breakup? Why do we get so obsessive about our exes? How do you move on? How do you learn about yourself enough that you can admit the truth and then have a successful relationship moving forward? And so this book was really a long time in the making to try to blend lying and how we lie to ourselves and how that hurts us with how it emerges in romantic relationships as an adult.
0: I think those two topics are so interesting, and I definitely want to talk about breakups and then more specifically self-deception, because I think it's such an interesting topic. And a lot of your book is based around like breaking the addiction to your ex. And people know this on on the podcast, I feel like I say it every episode, but I've been in recovery for 10 years. And so I'm super familiar with addiction and like how to recover from that. And I think that was the big turning point for me when I went through the breakup was like, it's like, I need to get sober from my ex, just like I got sober from substances. And I would love if you could talk about like, what is love addiction? And a question a lot of people would ask is like, how do you know if it's like, you're just in love or if it's like an addiction, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that you
1: share that about yourself and your journey because the reality is that addictive behavior is very comorbid, which in scientific terms just means they often happen at the same time. If you're struggling with an addiction to one thing, drugs or alcohol, it's also more likely that you're going to struggle with addictive behaviors like to gambling or to sex or to certain foods. And one of the reasons that I think it's so helpful when I'm working with clients who are coming in with a breakup To think about it as an addictive process is that our body and brain is programmed to fall in love. And when you do, it actually looks very much like you're addicted to your mate. So if you think about dating, right, there are all these people that you could potentially date in the world, and you're looking around, and at some point, someone catches your eye and you get to know them. And as you fall in love, they become the center of your world. You think about them. You crave them. You want to spend time with them. Even when you're not with them, you're planning for the next time you can get together, right? And so in that way, it looks very much like an addiction to your mate. And so because of that, I actually think you could make a strong argument that the very natural euphoric experience of falling in love is meant to be addictive. We just don't think of it as a problem because it feels amazing, right? I mean, falling in love is one of the most naturally high-inducing experiences we can have. The problem is really when you fall in love with someone who's not healthy for you, not available, or doesn't want to be with you. And if you have fallen in love with someone and then you break up, it can throw you into this addictive cycle of withdrawal that's incredibly difficult to stop. And when I have people coming in for breakups to therapy, so often what they say to me is, I don't understand why I can't stop thinking about them. I don't understand why I'm so obsessed with them. Why can't I stop checking my phone? I'm looking for them online. I feel like a stalker. I'm rereading old text messages. I literally feel like I've lost myself. Because I'm so fixated on this person who I know isn't good for me or I know doesn't want to be with me. Why is that? And the answer is because love can be incredibly addictive. And so the way that we treat it and the way that we think about it can really, really be helped if you understand that your brain and body is responding to your ex just like they would to a drug.
0: Yeah, actually, I've never thought about it like this, but it's so true of like, let's treat it as an addiction. It's like when someone says, oh, just stop thinking about your ex or like, just move on. You know, like the really unhelpful things people say Mm -hmm. during a breakup. It's like, yeah, I would love if I could just tell myself to stop thinking about them or to just like have this off switch. And it's the same thing with like, you know, someone getting sober. It's like, well, just don't drink. You know, it's like, Cool. Let's, you know, let's put the rehab industry like out of business. You know, it's like, it's not that simple. It's so multi layered. And it, I think what I've learned so much in interviewing experts like you, it's like there's a lot working against you. Yes. Like physiologically, mentally. And so I would love if, you know, you can talk a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. Because in your brain, you're really experiencing an addictive process. And so when someone says to you, well, just stop, stop reaching out to them, stop sleeping with them, stop talking to them, stop thinking about them, you almost laugh because it's like, well, I wish I could. I want to, right? The number of people who will say to me, Dr. Warren, I want to let go, which is actually the title of my new book, Letting Go of Your Ex, because so much of the journey of recovery is becoming aware first that you're in the middle of an addictive process and then understanding that there isn't anything wrong with you. You're not going crazy. Actually, the symptoms make a lot of sense if you think about your ex as an addictive stimulus. And so it's really the journey of giving each of us the skills that we can use and practice on a daily basis that detach you from them as a stimulus, from them as the focal point of your life, just like the alcoholic has to stop using the alcohol and stop drinking. You are trying to stop using your ex so that you can now reflect back on yourself and your life and create the platform for you to enjoy your life again with or without them, actually, with or without anyone. Because at the end of the day, The lies that you'll tell yourself in the middle of a breakup will keep you stuck and hyper fixated on this person who you may intellectually really know you don't want to be with anymore or shouldn't be with anymore. And that takes so much practice and it's so hard to do, but you can do it. One of the things I really love that you talk about a lot is no contact and the need for no contact. And I think that actually is very relevant to thinking of love as an addiction because contact with your ex essentially is like using a drug if you're love addicted. And really what I mean by love addicted is you have a set of symptoms that's making you miserable, that's hyper-focused around your former lover. And so, it, or current lover, actually, if you're yes. still in the relationship with someone who you're really in love with, but you know it's not good for you and you're trying to break it off, you also could be struggling with a love-addicted relationship. And so really understanding that the more you contact them, the more you sleep with them, the more you look for information about them online, the harder it's going to be for you to move on is really central to starting your recovery journey.
0: Yeah. Well, two follow up questions, because I think I want to clarify to people like, because I feel like since learning about your stuff, I've actually like been corrected in how I think of love addiction. I really thought it was like, you know, like there's someone who's like a sex addict and then Mm -hmm. someone who's like a love addict. Like I've always thought of it as, oh, it's always unhealthy to like Mm. have addictive things within a relationship. But I feel like what you're saying is it's not like it's not clinical it's just it's a set of things that can happen in any relationship almost
1: definitely you know love addiction is not a clinical diagnosis this isn't something that you'd come to therapy for where i would say oh you're a love addict okay and actually i also want to say that even if you struggle with addiction in general you're not going to be addicted quote unquote to everyone you date so okay. You could have relationships and probably everyone listening has had them where, you know, you're dating someone and you break up and nobody likes the breakup. It's not that much fun. But where it's really not that hard for you to move on, you really can kind of go about your life and shift out of it, even if it's not that much fun. And you really are kind of grounded and centered and you don't have this symptom set that makes you miserable. If you're in a love addicted breakup, the way that I really think about it is that the breakup itself or the relationship with your ex itself is really the focus of your life such that it's causing these symptoms that are making you unable to enjoy and appreciate your life now. Okay. And so in that way, you know, love is interesting because we don't usually think of positive addictions. And this is a very heated topic in the psychological literature. But I think you really could argue that love is a drive it's a need in your body. And for that reason, if you think about it, you're really evolutionarily designed to fall in love. As a species, we have to find someone we want to be with, have sex with them, touch them, procreate, and ensure the survival of our child and our species. And to do that, you have to stay bonded long enough that you really want this person in your life, at least until your kid survives and the mother survives, right? And so- In that way, I don't know that you can say that the nature of love as addictive is inherently bad for you. Actually, it serves a really important function for us as humans. It's those set of miserable symptoms, the cravings, the obsessive thinking, the emotional distress, and the acting in impulsive and compulsive ways that are very characteristic of any addictive behavior that can really set you in this downward spiral of symptoms that can also lead to depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, a sense that you don't have any control over your life anymore or don't know who you are, that really send people into therapy and really are kind of the crux of what I'm talking about with a love-addicted breakup.
0: That makes so much sense because I do have people message me all the time that say like, well, what's really always interesting to me is someone will say, I went through a divorce out of a 20-year marriage and was relatively okay, but dated someone for six months after that, and I am destroyed from that. And it's like, that makes so much sense. It's like one had the addictive nature and one did not.
1: Absolutely. And you know, the timing is part of what you're bringing up here too, which really is important because... The romantic love in your brain, that stimulus where it looks like you're on a drug, your dopamine is rushing, your serotonin generally goes down, and your prefrontal cortex is not functioning very well. So your thinking, your rational thinking is really not not, at, not driving the horse here. And so when you think about how that happens, it's usually in the honeymoon phase. It's early, relatively early in your relationship that you're really going to be absolutely in fantasy land over this new lover. And so if you break up when you're still Madly in love, quote unquote, with the person, it's really common that you have these very intense symptoms after the breakup that can be really hard. Whereas if you've been together for decades, even you still can have a love addicted breakup, but you also may be in a phase of love where you're more attached, it's less exciting, it's more honest, actually, it's more based on who the other person is, and you're able to see oh, this is who I'm married to now, or this is who I'm in a relationship with. This is who I am. This is not a good fit for me anymore. And so it's not as hard to move on in that sense.
0: I feel like that will be very validating to a lot of people because I hear a lot, like, I was only with them for X amount of time. And like, I don't know why I'm so upset over this, Mm. but it makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I was actually going to say earlier when you were saying like, we're programmed for this because people will so often say to me, like, why do I, I can't even think of an example right now, but like, why do I feel this way? And I always want to be like, because you're human. Like, I think that's such an important thing that you talk about is like the honesty of what you're actually going through is so important. Like, I think you have to start there before you even like do any of the healing work.
1: One of the first things that I Tell people who I talk to professionally is I really want you to understand that there's nothing wrong with you. That having this set of symptoms really means that you fell for someone hard. And that seems like a really magical thing in the moment, but it also comes with some cost. And that cost is that if the relationship doesn't work, it can lead to these symptoms. But it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you can't help yourself. It doesn't even mean you're ever going to feel this way again. What it means is you loved hard. Now, what are we going to do to help you through it? And the beautiful thing about a cognitive behavioral approach is that it really offers people skills that they can use and practice on a daily basis to pull themselves out of those symptoms and stop the cycle so that they get some perspective on their life again. Because one thing that happens in any addictive behavior, certainly with breakups, is that you become hyper fixated on the details, on the minutia. who are they sleeping with now? What are they doing now? Were they at that party? And am I gonna run into them? The words they said, the lack text message they sent you. Oh, they said they were feeling good, not great. Or they didn't mention that they loved me anymore. Now what, right? It's these tiny details that'll drive you crazy internally and and you can replay them obsessively in your own mind. And so knowing that there are ways you can help yourself stop doing that to get a broader perspective, because the truth is, this is just one relationship. In the very long life that you're hopefully going to live, from birth to the end of our lives, you will have so many important relationships. And so to think in the moment that this is the most important one, that you had to have this person, that they're the only one for you, that you're never going to get over them, just undermines how magically important you are as a human being and how long of a journey you actually have this breakup does not define you. It doesn't define your value. It doesn't define your lovability. And it certainly should not define how you experience happiness and joy and fulfillment today, especially given that they're not in your life anymore.
0: I think everyone listening or most people listening nodded along so much to the like going over the details thing because that is like not only the details of the breakup but the details of you know where did the relationship go wrong how could i have prevented this like it just it keeps people up at night it like makes people sick and i know you have like so many great tools on how to stop doing that or at least like and i think a lot of what you talk about too is like a practice like it's like a daily thing like there's nothing that I or you could say that will just like snap you out of it. It would be great if that was the case, but like it is, you know, whoever could invent that would make a lot of money. But I would love if you could, you know, talk about the different skills that you recommend and like why they work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the first
1: step to healing is really stopping your symptoms in the moment, That takes a lot of practice, but there are so many skills that you can learn. So for example... In my book, and actually for free through my publisher, if anyone is interested, you can download an assessment, an exaholic assessment questionnaire, where you can kind of look at what are your most significant symptoms? Is it the obsessive thinking? Is it cravings for contact? Is it that you're replaying behaviors in your mind that you want to do, like going by their house or seeing if they're at your favorite coffee shop? Is it the emotional distress? Get a good picture of what is the most upsetting thing that's going on for you right now. And I know you preach a lot of journaling, which is an amazing technique to help you develop self-awareness actually, which is the first step to change. The first goal is for you to really get honest with yourself about where you're struggling the most. Then I would encourage anyone to start using skills that specifically target the symptom you're struggling with. So for example, if the thinking is driving you crazy, the the rumination and obsessive thoughts, a couple of things I recommend to people. First, practice a rumination time. Literally, you're going to schedule a time in your day. Often I start with 20 minutes three times a day where your entire job is only to think about your ex in this breakup. You can scream, you can cry, you can journal, you can listen to loud music, whatever it is that you need to do to get it out. Literally, you are only meant to think about everything that is preoccupying you, making you more angry, making you more upset, making you sad. At the end of your rumination time, now you don't get to think about your ex anymore and this breakup. And the way that you're going to do that is you're going to practice thought stopping. Thought stopping is as you go through the rest of your day, anytime you're triggered, anytime you have a thought of your ex pop into your mind, even if you don't want it to be there, you literally say to yourself, stop. I am not available to think about you right now. You can picture a big stop sign. You can picture a calm beach scene. Eventually, as you get better at thought stopping, oftentimes we morph it into a relaxation technique where you just become mindfully aware that a thought is coming into your mind of your ex. You notice it without judgment and you say, I'm just going to let it flow right by me and not give it any of my focus or attention. So that's one example of how you would use techniques to to just target one symptom, which is thinking. And in the book, there are Honestly, hundreds of ideas in there and really empirically supported research-based techniques that we would use in a cognitive behavioral therapy session. Or if you were in my office with me, how I would start
0: you off. I love that. I feel like that's such a good tip. One thing I actually heard you talk about on another podcast that I would love if you could talk about is the idea of distress tolerance, of like learning how to be comfortable, uncomfortable kind of a thing. It's
1: one of the most important things that we as humans can learn, actually, because the reality is for anyone going through a love-addicted breakup, you are probably emotionally just absolutely heartbroken. You are probably also very emotionally reactive. So when you have triggers in your life, when there are situations that remind you of your ex in some way, it will fuel a set of emotional responses immediately. And so distress tolerance is really learning to sit with your emotion, be aware that it's there and do nothing to stop it. And one of the reasons it's so important to learn to do this is that oftentimes in our minds when we're really angry or really sad, we think that that emotional state is going to continue forever and so we act impulsively because we'll do anything to make it go away. So those are the moments where you really want to jump on social media and check your ex because it gives you a little dopamine hit that at least it's information. At least you have some little hit of, okay, I know something about what they're doing. When you can actually understand that you can tolerate whatever emotion comes your way, you can survive it you're going to be okay, and it's actually going to decrease over time, you will actually develop more self-efficacy, more self-esteem, more of the sense that you actually have some control over your symptoms, and there is absolutely no emotion that you can't tolerate for a certain amount of time. So sit with your feelings. Don't try to make them go away. Pause, notice them,
0: Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way, and this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement that's actually probably one of my biggest things I still struggle with is anytime something's going on, I immediately am like, it's going to be like this forever. Like that is just my, it's always where my head goes to is just to remind, like to think that then something is going to last forever. And one thing I actually, someone told me to do is like, keep like a crisis averted list of things like i write down when something's so intense and i think it's going to last forever and then when it passes i like cross it off the list and i have like a list of crises that i've like survived and that that's helped me a lot but that's still something that like i have a a 1 year old and he still doesn't sleep very well and it's like i think he's not going to sleep for the rest of my life and i know that's not true but like that's how it genuinely feels so much of the time <laughs>
1: You know, I love what you're saying too, because what you just described is another cognitive technique that is in the book and something I encourage everyone to practice, which is really evaluating your thinking. So when you notice you're having a thought like that, which is this feeling is never gonna go away. I'm never gonna get over my ex. I'm never gonna be able to find anyone else. This is my new life. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah, Taking a moment to pause and really evaluate is this thought true, first and foremost? Do you have evidence that your life is over and it's never gonna get better? And then is it helpful? And if you can really notice, wow, I have this thought and not only is it not true, but it's just making my symptoms worse, you've actually set the framework for challenging your self-deceptive lies, challenging the ways that you're thinking is inaccurate and replacing it with something that will dramatically help you feel better. So if you can even just say to yourself, I just saw a picture of my ex at a party on social media and they're dating this really hot new person. My thinking is, ouch, 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 ouch. They're never gonna want me again. My life is over. Pause, distress tolerance. Let me write out my thoughts. Oh, wow, I'm thinking this. It's actually not true. What if I tell myself my ex has their own life to live. We're no longer together. I have exactly the same value with myself as I did when we were a couple. And actually, I am not going to let this break me. I am going to choose to manage my symptoms better so that I can create a fulfilling future for myself. You will actually emerge not only more self aware, but with some skills to take you from feeling really bad which will lead you to crave them more and act in ways that hurt you more over time in that addictive cycle and transition to a place of perspective where you can say, this still hurts. I still wish I wasn't going through this. It still sucks. But I'm at least going to challenge myself to think thoughts that help me and don't hurt me.
0: The one thing that I wanted to ask on that, I think it's so important is I assume you don't actually have to believe what you're saying to yourself at that time, right? Like you'll believe it over time. You know, I
1: think that it's a journey okay? because perhaps in the middle of this book, after we, or in the middle of therapy with me, after we've really settled down some of your symptoms and help you not feel so bad right now, now we have to explore how you got here in the first place. Totally what made you attracted to your ex? What drew you to them? And were there aspects of that that were probably about you that were coming from a place of insecurity and pain? And one thing that we know very strongly in the research literature is that if you had adverse experiences around love as a child or any kind of trauma, any kind of internalization of a norm about love that isn't true, it's probably going to emerge in your romantic relationships as an adult. And so if you saw that love was dangerous, if you had divorced parents, if you internalized somehow that there's something wrong with you, that you can't trust people, what's going to happen is you're going to attract people who probably you can't trust. You're going to be comfortable with things that are actually really not healthy for you as an adult. And so part of the journey of being sure that you don't end up in a love-addicted breakup in the future, in your next relationship, is exploring what you learned about love, those core beliefs about love, about yourself, about partners that you brought into this relationship, That are actually based in self deception, that are actually lies, but you're living your life as if they're true and you don't even see it. But it's something that we have to unpack to help you heal and move forward a more empowered person. So, the long answer to your question is you may not believe some of the cognitive challenges that you do in the moment. And the ones that you won't believe the most are the ones that are touching on some deeper belief systems. That you have to shift in order to
0: heal yourself. That makes so much sense. Yeah. The ones that are like, that feel like you can't even say it. You couldn't even say them out loud. Those are probably the, the deepest rooted ones. I think that's so important. And I loved what you said about you do this after the symptoms have come down a little bit, because what I so often see and what I get messages about is, Right after a breakup, people are almost too quick to jump on themselves and like beat Mm -hmm. themselves up about Mm -hmm. the breakup. And I'm just like, you're not seeing this rationally Mm -hmm. at all. And it's interesting. I feel like in the beginning, you know, even someone coming out of a relationship where the ex was clearly had some stuff, they'll be so quick to beat themselves up and defend their ex or like idolize their ex. So I think that's just like a really important point. It's like, you don't need to jump into the self-reflection right away because you probably aren't even seeing it rationally.
1: It's really very true. I really think of people who are just in the throes of the breakup. It just happened and you're you're really in the thick of it. Think of yourself as just showing up to the ER. You just came in with a deep cut. And my job as your doctor is to stop the bleeding. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to do is look at your wound and figure out ways to help it not bleed so much right now. But after I stop the bleeding, now I have to understand how you got cut in the first place. What kind of knife was it? Who was there with you? How long has it been there? Are there any other scars nearby? And that is a much deeper, more introspective process that when you're really having extreme symptoms, it's really hard to do. And that's why it's a trajectory of first stop the bleeding, then understand how you got hurt in the first place. And that really requires that we go a little bit deeper into your core belief systems, into your early childhood learning, into really how you see yourself and how you see the world. And then, I mean, the good news is, I don't want to leave people there. The good news is that as you stop your symptoms and see a little bit more clearly how you got here, Now, the journey is, who are you and what do you want next? And that can be very daunting for people. It can be very scary because a lot of times in these kind of breakups, you're left questioning who you are. And sometimes you've acted in ways that are Breeding grounds of shame where mm-hmm. you compromised your own values, you compromised what you thought mattered to you or who you thought you were, and you're in a process of reinventing and transforming in some ways. And so, as we move on, the goal is actually not to make the wound go away because we can't do that. The past happened. You're always going to have a scar, it's going to be there. But you can learn to see it differently. Mm -hmm. You can learn to experience it differently. And as you do, you can explore who you really are, what you really care about next. What kind of person do you want to be moving forward in relationships? What would be a better fit for you? What are your core values? What kind of lifestyle do you want to live? And with all of those questions of reinvention comes a great deal of freedom freedom to create a new life with another partner who might be much healthier for you in the long run. And oftentimes what I see as people come out of therapy when they've gone through this journey is they never thought they could look back and have any gratitude for this Mm -hmm. experience. They never thought they could see their ex and not have a reaction to them. And the reality is that oftentimes they're able to look back with a smile on their face and say, boy, I never want to go through that again. That was horrible. And there was a gift. I learned a great deal about myself that I never would have learned had I not had to go through this breakup. And I will take that with me moving forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I mean, I've, you know, been in the, very addictive relationships and it's the same thing where like you let go of friends you let go of hobbies like you just kind of create your whole life around this person and then you're like I don't even know what's left when the relationship is gone and there is like you know I've dealt with a lot of the shame of like having to go to friends and be like I'm you know I'm sorry I was disappeared and and so I think that's so important to be able to rebuild from there and I know like In my case, when I have been able to rebuild and like rediscover, it gave me freedom in future relationships because it was like I was no longer going to sacrifice how I would have sacrificed in the past because like my life felt really I wasn't so scared to lose someone again, you know, cause it's like, I know I won't put up with certain things because there used to be such a big fear of like, it's either this or nothing. I'm like in a relationship where I'm, you know, nothing, but now it's like, I know I have so much to offer on my own. So it's like in my relationship, if there was like some really negative treatment, like I, I could walk away and that's very freeing.
1: Mm, I love that. You know, another thing that you alluded to in your comments is this idea of forgiveness, which is part of that last phase. Because really emerging from the breakup also means that you have to let go of any attachment that you still have to your ex and to the past. And so learning to forgive them for ways that you think they mistreated you learning to forgive yourself and actually apologizing for ways that you acted towards your ex, but also perhaps towards friends and family, at least for yourself. This doesn't mean that you need to directly apologize to your ex. That's a much more complicated question that depends on your circumstances. But being able to let go and detach and say, I forgive you and I'm sorry for my role in this is such a freeing part of the process. It's one of the hardest, I would say. Forgiveness is psychologically one of the hardest things that I ask people to do because for many people... They think that it means you forgive their behavior or their choices, yeah. that it somehow makes what happened okay. And especially if you're going through a love addicted breakup where there was an affair or cheating or abuse or some kind of pretty extreme situation that really, really cut you. When you forgive, somehow it feels like I'm letting it go. I'm letting it slide. But the truth is that forgiveness has nothing to do with your ex. Forgiveness is you making the choice that you're not going to hold on to bitterness, anger, and resentment anymore over something that already happened. And as you practice doing that, you will actually feel a lightness in your life again.
0: Yeah. Cause it's still, I mean, even if it's, I mean, I, I get asked a lot, like, how do I hate my ex kind of a thing? Cause it's like, I know it would be a lot of times you think it would be so much easier if you could just hate your ex instead of like still being in love with them. But the truth is like, it's still energy that you're giving your ex. And it's like, if you could get to a place of like objectivity... I think like first get to a place of objectivity where you can like see them for who they are. Like when people say like my ex was perfect, I'm like, I guarantee they're not perfect. Like they did things that were annoying. They pissed you off. Like they hit some pet peeves of yours. But once you can like see that, the good and the bad, and then you can get to a place of like neutrality almost where it's like if I see them, sure, it might feel like funny, but it's it's. It's just like, okay, they're there. They, they're human existing in the world. It's They're not so like charged.
1: Absolutely. I'm laughing because I had a reporter contact me recently who was running a story about zoos that were allowing people to name a cockroach after oh, yeah. their ex. I saw that. <laughs> and then if you wanted to, you could pay extra and watch it become eaten by a lizard or whatever other mammal they had. And it's so to your point of what you're saying that, you know, there's a very fine line between love and hate and someone that you adored madly can shift to someone that you can't remember anything good about, especially if you went through a bad breakup. But the truth is that love and hate are not opposites. The opposite of love and hate is indifference. Yeah. It's coming to the place where you can see the reality of who your ex was in full glory and have no reaction at all because you realize that that's really more of a comment on who they are than anything else. And they don't have any power over you anymore. So what they think or do really doesn't matter. And so if we can think about the goal of breakups, not in a mean way, not in a reactive way, but in a I see you. I wish you the very best. I hope you have a wonderful life in the choices that you've made. And I'm going to do the same. Is that place where you come to a complete empowerment, safe and sound in your own skin, ready to be your best self?
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's like, you know, it ties it all together with like, your other you know area of expertise with like self deception. I think when you can get cuz people will say like I still think about my ex and I'm like just because you think about your ex does not mean you're not over them actually. Like I always tell people like I think about like my boyfriend from the sixth grade that we dated for like two weeks. Like you're always going to think about people, but it's like, can you see them just for who they are? Can you just like think about them existing in the universe and it doesn't completely rile you up? So I think that's when you get can get to that place of honesty about who they are and about who you are, like that's so powerful. So thank you so much. I feel like this is such a... I'm so excited for people to get to get your book. And I mean, we just got like a small taste of the different and I love practical things. Like I always say I want people to walk away from any podcast episode or anything I do with like tangible things. And your book is just chock full of them. So I'm excited for people to get them. I assume people can get it anywhere books are sold. And then yes. maybe share your website. That would be great too.
1: Yes, drcourtney.com. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y.com. And anywhere, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to buy books, an audiobook is coming out as well for anyone who likes to listen.
0: Oh, great. And I will link that assessment that you had mentioned. I'll link that in the show notes as well for people to, to go take that. But thank you so much, Dr. Courtney. It was an honor to have you on and I'm excited for everyone to learn more from you. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.